0: Proverbs 69 says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Proverbs 69 says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but it is the Lord who establishes their steps. It may feel like you're sitting still right now, but you are not. We are on a planet that is rotating on its axis at 1,000 miles per hour. Like clockwork, it makes one rotation every 24 hours. And if that wasn't amazing enough, our planet is rotating around the sun at speeds approaching 67,000 miles per hour. So, the, you know, the next time you feel like you've had an unproductive day, Just remind yourself that you've traveled approximately 1.5 million miles today. (laughs) See, now let me ask you a question. When was the last time you lost sleep because you were concerned about the creator keeping the planets in orbit? When was the last time you got down on your knees at night and prayed, Lord, thank you for keeping the planets rotating today. I was not sure if we would make the full rotation. But you did it again. You see, we don't doubt God's ability to keep the planets in orbit. But many times, we doubt God's ability to keep our lives in orbit. You know, I haven't, uh, I haven't, haven't experienced this more powerfully than when I've gone on missions trips. I, I, I started my first missions trip when I was 18. And, uh, and in college, I felt God's call in my life to go and try to go every year somewhere to minister God's word. And being a young Christian, uh, I quickly began to realize there are two types of people when they go out to serve on these trips. There are people who are big picture people. They look at the macro and, and, and they begin to be overwhelmed at just all the need that is uh, around them. And so they, they begin to feel insignificant because they don't have the power to address uh, all of those needs. And then there's another type of person who looks at the micro. The person who feels insignificant because they, 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 uh, they don't feel like they're doing enough. Meaning that maybe they're the people who are the greeters and they're smiling as the children come in for VBS. Maybe they're the ones that are cooking in the background. And because they're not on stage, they feel like they traveled thousands of thousands of miles for no reason. You see, uh, uh, you know, I remember I, I, during my last missions trip, I had the opportunity to share a devotion with some of the leaders. And I wanted to remind them about this verse. I wanted to remind them that in their hearts, man planned their steps, but it is the Lord. Who, in, their, in, their, in their hearts, man makes their plan, but it is, it is the Lord who establishes their steps. I happen to have the privilege of going on this trip with my sister um, for the first time. And uh, again, I saw this dynamic play out where people felt like they were insignificant, like they weren't doing enough. And so during the devotion, I told this story, and I want to tell this uh, to uh, this church today as we talk about the title of my sermon today is Divine Appointments. Divine Appointments. See, when I was a kid, uh, my parents immigrated from Haiti, And uh, when I was much younger, uh, uh, growing up in the United States, uh, there was no such thing as UPK or pre-K. You started school in first grade. Uh, But there were some other kids who had the advantage of having parents who had exposed them to learning uh, at a much uh, younger age. So I remember going to a Christian school very similar to this one. And I'll never forget... Uh, feeling small, not just in height, but in, uh, in my spirit, when a student turned to me and he asked me, hey, they called me Moses, Moses, do you know how to spell van? And I turned to him and I turned to him and I began to think, I was like, well, of course I know how to spell van. And I, be- I didn't know how to spell van, <laughs> but <laughs> I imagined that a van is a big thing. And so it must have a lot of letters. So I started to say a bunch of random letters, hoping that together they would, I'd be right and spell Van. So I confidently said a bunch of different random letters. And I said, that's how you spell Van. He turned to me from one of the first of many moments through a difficult first grade year where I would continually feel insignificant. He looked at me, and he said, Van is spelled V-A-N. And that's when I began to feel really, really small. But there was something about this school that happened every single year. It was called the speech contest. And because I was not a good first grade student, um, and- I thought that this was just another opportunity for me to feel insignificant. But God had a different plan. He had a plan for a divine appointment with my sister. Now, granted, a first grader will never describe their sister, their older sister, as a divine appointment anything And she was much older than me, and I had terrorized her very well, probably the best in the country at the time. I don't know if she viewed this as a divine appointment uh, in her life, but she decided to help me with this speech contest. I remember the speech like it was yesterday. Every single day we practiced. The title of it was called, God Gave Me Eyes. But what I remember the most is not necessarily the content of the speech, But my sister screaming at me every single time at every single line to repeat, God gave me eyes. Come on, say it. And I would say, God gave me eyes. She would be like, no, God gave me eyes. And and, and, And she would work with me over and over again. And I would practice over and over again. At the time, I didn't realize that that moment was orchestrating the first time in my lifetime where I would realize a moment of significance. You see, at that moment, all of my peers were much more ahead of me at everything. I never expected to win at anything. And so I just thought that everybody did their speeches better than me. And so I went up and gave my speech. God gave me eyes that I can see all the glorious things he's done for me. I don't remember the details. But at the end, of, I remember the the room being silent and the eyes of the students pinned on my every cadence and my every move. And I remember, for the first time, being looked at and being noticed. And at the end of that speech, I was still in first grade. I just did everything my sister yelled at me to do. And I was glad that it was over. At the end of the year, they announced who was the winners of the speech contest. It was the first time I'd ever won anything. I did not expect to win. And I won first place in that speech contest. What I didn't know about that moment is that that was the beginning of where I began to realize what my purpose would be in life. One of my favorite preachers says it this way. He says, "Where well, your gifts, talents, and abilities Crosses with the needs of the world, there lies your purpose. And that was the first instant where I had experience with what it was like to communicate. It was my divine appointment. And to my sister, I was probably her snot-nose-annoying brother who uh, she was probably just forced to prepare for this speech But what she didn't realize is that she was setting me up for my purpose, to preach God's word around the world. And at the time, I didn't realize it was a gift. But it was a gift that was sparked by my sister, my divine appointment. Year after year, I continued to have the blessing of seeing God begin to orchestrate more and more divine appointments in my life people who had, God had allowed to come into my sphere of influence so that I could move closer and closer to what God's plan was and what his will is for me, for the benefit of others. And this is what we're seeing here in uh, Acts 10. We're seeing God begin to orchestrate a divine Appointment. You know, in Acts 10, verse 2, it says this He prayed to God regularly. He prayed to God regularly. Five words tell me everything we need to know about Cornelius. Cornelius (laughs) prayed to God regularly, the Bible says. The Bible does not tell us when or where he prayed. It does not tell us if he prayed in the morning or the evening. It does not tell us what he said or the posture he prayed in. It says he prayed regularly. Mark Batterson, one of my favorite authors, puts it this way. In his book, Draw the Circle, he says, when you pray to God regularly... Irregular things happen on a regular basis. You never know when or where God will invade the routine of your life, but you can live in holy anticipation, knowing that God is orchestrating supernatural synchronicities. You see, like a championship coach of a dream team, God is always preparing us and positioning us for divine appointments. I'm going to say that one more time. Like a championship coach of a dream team, God is always preparing us and positioning us for divine appointments. And prayer is the way we discern the next moves. One of my favorite things to do, uh, actually, when the vote came down uh, last week, Uh, I began to feel impressed at all the ways I've seen God move in, uh, in, in, in ministries I had had the pleasure of being a part of. And so something impressed on me to make sure I come to the Monday night prayer. Every single move of God I have had the opportunity to experience was always preceded by a group of people devoted to pray. So I came uh, last Monday to the prayer run by Jill Basel, where they pray for the school, and began to uh, uh, just be open at realizing how faithful and how amazing these group of men and women who meet every single Monday uh, for the covering, the spiritual covering of our school helps us as a church and as a school to be in the uh, blessings of God's will. I begin to run into people like Brother Rick, who's also devoted to prayer, and Wendy, who actually often calls me and just to check up on the youth and see how things are going and asks me, How can she? Pray. Begin to run with Jill and other pastors who are just committed to just sitting down in a season of prayer. I I could stop this whole sermon and just focus on these five words uh, of Cornelius because God is orchestrating our lives. And prayer is the way we discern the next move. The plans of God are only revealed in the presence of God. We don't get our marching orders until we get on our knees. But if we hit our knees, God will take us places we never imagined going by paths we did not know existed. Man, Throughout this whole season of transition, I've had people come up to me and ask me, hey, Mo, what's your vision? Hey, what's your plan? What, what are you going to do? How, how are you going to do this? What's your experience? And I love those questions. I'm a plans guy. I love have not just planning for tomorrow, but 5, 10, 15, 20 years out and laying out bold vision. But there was something that God has been doing in me even before I knew of my friend, Pastor Mark, uh, moving on. He had been orchestrating in my life a deep call to prayer. Uh, Just early on this year, I went through a 40-day fast with seven pastors. Every day we would uh, uh, pray, we'd read, and then we'd encourage each other in the season of prayer. We didn't have a plan or a grand plan of what God was going to do. But in each and every one of those pastors that I got a chance to pray with, God is orchestrating seasons of shifting, seasons of transitions. I almost feel like a plant. You know, they say, uh, uh, oak trees can grow as high as over a hundred feet. Their wingspan of those branches could be the size of football fields. But if you keep a, that tree planted in a small pot, it will only grow as high as 35 feet. And one of my uh, 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 sister-in-laws, she loves planting and she gifted us a plant and repotting a plant is one of the only ways to get it to grow a much, on a much bigger scale. And repotting plants can be really messy. In fact, I love the beautiful plant that she gave us. I would look at it all the time. And when she came over and said, now it's time to be repotted, I was skeptical. I was like, it's fine the way it is. I, I don't I'm afraid you're gonna mess it up and it was messy she said did you have a, a large tray I got I would get out a large tray and she took the plant and she begins to dig her hands in the pot I'm like what are you doing what you? And, and, and then she she, she, she she took the roots and started shaking them up and I'm like that's aggressive like, this, that's my baby. What are you doing? You treat it nicely. She's like, no, you got to loosen up the roots, and you got to shake up this plant so that it can, be, it can grow and reach its new full potential. And I was like, all right. I mean, if I didn't see the hundreds of plants that you have in your house, I'd be quite skeptical right now <laughs> that you just dropped all this soil everywhere, even though I gave you a tray. And the first two, three months, that, pot didn't, that plant didn't seem to have much of um, a change. Until recently, it has had a few growth spurts. And I feel like that God has taken me and our church into a season of replanting and repotting. I don't know what he has for us. All I know is that he's called me to this divine appointment in this season and that I will be devoting myself and this church to a season of of prayer so that he can do and that we could hear what is his divine assignment for our lives You see <laughs> I'm going to say this again you see God is the most epic composer And he orchestrated one of the most significant divine appointments in Acts 10. Acts 10 reveals to us how one prayer can change the game. It it reveals what can happen when two people pray. It reveals the power of prayer to activate our spiritual game plan to confuse the enemy and seal the victory. Let me give you a play-by-play of what happens in Acts 10. A man named Cornelius has a vision while praying in Caesarea. 32 miles away, at the same time, Peter has a vision while praying in Joppa. Those visions collide in a way that radically alter the course of history. You see, Cornelius was a Gentile. For those of you that don't know, a Gentile is anybody who's a non-Jewish. So if you're not Jewish today, all of us, if you're not Jewish today, which I think is most of us here, you are a Gentile. And Peter belonged to Judaism. And up until this point, salvation was a sect of Judaism. Judaism. It was not until this moment in history that the gospel is opened up to the Gentiles. If he does not get saved, in other words, you can't get saved. It's not even an option. So if you are a non-Jewish follower of Jesus today, you can trace your spiritual genealogy to this moment in history. When Cornelius puts his faith in Christ... The door of salvation swings open, wide open to the Gentiles, but it started with two people praying. Those two prayers have been answered billions of times. It was answered when you put your faith in Christ. Cornelius and Peter should have never, ever met each other, they were separated by geography. The Bible tells us that uh, the 32 mile, they were 32 miles from each other, and that 32-mile difference may not mean much to us. But people born in that time interval uh, didn't travel more than a 30-mile radius from their birthplace. They didn't have the modern levels of uh, transportation that we have today, So just by the sheer nature of geography, Cornelius and Peter should have never met. They were separated by ethnicity. Roman soldiers did not interact with Jewish people. They did not hang out. In fact, Peter broke every law in the Jewish books just by stepping into the home of Cornelius. By stepping into that doorway, he went against everything he had ever known and risked everything he had ever accomplished. When Peter entered the door to Cornelius' house, it literally meant that whosoever may come, and that includes you and me. What is God calling our church to step into as he orchestrates and establishes our steps in this season of transition? How have you answered his call to commit to praying us into seasons of divine appointments in this next season? You see, I have been incredibly blessed to experience powerful and mighty moves of God in my lifetime. When I was at the Brooklyn Tabernacle, they started a young adults ministry called Transitions. Transitions. Even though Brooklyn Tabernacle had thousands of members, this was the first time they had established a young adult's ministry. And at 18, I was surrounded by people in their, in their mid-20s. It was from 18 to 30, and I began to pour into this ministry. It was about 12 to 20 people, no more than 50 people. We would gather together, and we would devote ourselves to prayer. I didn't know it at the time, but they used to do these things called all-night prayer. It was one of the most exciting and difficult things I've done. Is that we would gather together and we would pray the entire night. We would pray that God would use us to reach the young adults of the city. That God would help us to grow and that God would speak to us and we would pray for the needs of our state and our country and our pastor. I'll never forget the feeling of waking up after I fell asleep a few times during the all-night prayer and going for breakfast. You see, in that moment of all-night prayer, nothing changed. We were still the young adults' ministry who barely had mics that worked, but as the 18-year-old in the group, I had a front row seat to see the fruit that God began to bear of the sacrifices of those who had come before us to pray. Five and 10 years later, we became the largest young adults ministry in New York City. We would average over 1,000 young adults as as statistics were saying that the least likely place for young adults to be was in church. People were lining up around the block to come into our services. And many people thought it was just normal because they were new. They weren't there when the mics didn't work. They weren't there in the all-night prayer meetings and in the moments that we were believing God for those very young people five and ten years later when even the pastor who was leading that meeting had moved on to other ministries. I was there to witness and see the fruit of the result of what happens when people devote their lives to prayer. I got a chance to sit down younger leaders and become not just a a, a consumer of God's word, but to lead the leaders and to explain to them the importance of sticking to our roots and the importance of prayer to orchestrate divine appointments in our lives. And me coming here was a divine appointment. I I never planned to take on this role in this transition. I was just so excited to know that God had called me to full-time ministry. And while I was always the number two guy, that now I would have a chance to lead something, not just watch it happen. I'll never, ever, ever forget meeting Pastor Mark in a diner feeling like a kid at Toys R Us so grateful and so hungry for the call and purpose of God in my life that I was just happy that a pastor would sit with me just to encourage me I was just so happy that he, to have a relationship with him and to learn from him as a mentor I had no idea that those breakfasts which ended up being meetings in his offices, would turn into the greatest influence on my life. Trust me, I was not in a rush. I love my pastor. He's been like a father to me sometimes. And sometimes he's been like a mentor to me. Sometimes he's been my marriage counselor. And yes, he's also been my boss. But the Bible says that iron sharpens iron. And he who walks with the wise grows wise. And there were areas where I sharpened him as well. And he pushed me to push him. He, sometimes he was like a wingman. Things are moving really, really fast. Just one look from across the room, he would know. What I was thinking, what he was thinking, it didn't require a three-hour meeting or a constitutional amendment. And I am also in mourning in this season. I may not be crying, although I've come close a few times. But when I first heard the news, I was also saddened. And he has been, God has put him in my life to orchestrate a divine appointment in my season in ministry. He's answered the call to raise me up and to give me advice and to teach me how to lead. And I've submitted to his leadership. And I pray in this new season for God to send me someone else. <laughs> I pray that God continues to send us more leaders who will sharpen me as I sharpen them. I pray and I know that as we, our church commits to a season where we continue to trust in God, as he has kept us all these years, that we will honor his legacy. We will honor the past, but we will also build towards our future. And while I mourn, <laughs> she's not dead, but I still mourn. Because that's the only word that, I, that fits. I also boldly look forward to the future in this season of replanting. I also look forward to, man, God, how are you moving in this season? And I look forward to spending time with each and every one of you as we, as a church, commit to a season of prayer and discernment to see what God has for us in our future. Bow your heads with me as I pray. God, we thank you. That even though we make our plans in our hearts, that you establish our steps. God, I pray for those in this room whose faith is weak. Those that are hurting, who don't feel like wherever they are is a good place. Lord God, I pray that they would put their hope and trust in you. God, don't let them plan something that's rash. Don't let them uh, move away, God, or run away. But help them to devote themselves to a season of prayer where they can hear your plan for their lives. Help us, God, to step into all that you have for us. Let us usher in a new season, God. Where people wouldn't be divided by geography or race. But God, they would be united by the power of your blood and your prayer and your love. God, help us to reimagine what it is that you are doing for us in this season and to submit to to it. Don't let us be bound by the past. But help us to trust in you. Help us to trust in you for the next step. God, you've done an unlikely thing here. But God, I pray, God, that you would usher in divine appointments in this place. God, continue to help me as I lead your people, God, and help me to uh, point them to you. We are all in this together, God. And God, we thank you that the most important, ultimate, divine appointment happened when your son died on the cross. Mm -hmm. We thank you that we can be reminded by this as we take communion today that we are part of your family because you made room for us in your plan. And this first happened through Cornelius getting saved. And now we can all have access to your love and your mercy and your grace. Lord God, I pray that you would usher in a season of healing in this place, a season of growth, a season of humility, a season of prayer. God, let us see, continue to see your hand move and your faithfulness grow in our hearts and our minds. We love you and we thank you for all that you are doing. And we thank you, God, that you don't just go with our plans. That you establish our steps. So establish us, God. We are submitted to you. And we will continue to be sensitive as we pray to what it is that you are doing. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.